There is no greater love than to lay down my life for my Savior. What would happen if your personal focus shifted from the internal to the external, from yourself to the world around you? Would you lay it all down as a sacrifice to Jesus? Would you dare to take a step to go where he says go? Would you go tell others the good news that Jesus is alive? Would you do whatever it takes, whatever it costs to serve him, to witness to the world around you? Would your prayer be God, here I am. Send me, use me for your glory. Hey, good morning. How are you today? Good. It's glad, uh, we're glad to have you here at Jubilee Fellowship Church and that you have chosen to spend a part of your weekend with us. A uh, little insight into what I did this morning. Uh, I opened up my fantasy football uh, app, and uh, I did actually look to see when the Broncos game was uh, because I wanted to see how full or how empty this, this crowd would be because I knew this would be the crowd if there was a game that starts that uh, it would be affected. So we are glad that you are here, and uh, go Broncos. And uh, who here plays fantasy football? Oh, man, a lot less than what there was at the last service. So, okay, all right. We'll move on from there. Hey, I'm excited to kick off this new series that we're doing called Through Every Window. Um, we are entering into this new global experience series. And over the, ne- over the next couple of weeks, we want to build the case and answer the question about why we care about the world in the way that we do. Uh, we're going to build that on the foundation of God's love for us, right? Because we love him because he first loved us. He knows every one of us by name. He loves every single one of us. So we're gonna build on that foundation of we don't have to do anything for his love and his grace for us, right? But God cares about the world. And if you're a follower of Christ, you have a part to play in this story that he has written and that he continues to write to bring all mankind back into a relationship with him, right? You have a part to play in that. Everyone has windows that they look out of, both literal windows, right? You drove here, you have car, uh, windows in your car, but we also have figurative windows that we look out. And if you're a follower of Christ, if you have said, Jesus, yes, I wanna follow you, you have a part to play in that, to bring his love and his grace and his salvation to everyone through every window. Now, I bet when you were a kid, you asked the question, why, of your parents way more times than they had answers for. Anybody remember that? Who has kids that, that they do that to them? Uh, we have three beautiful kids. Our middle daughter, Hannah, Uh, we would have full-on conversations like you and I are having right now when she was about a year old. She was very verbal. And Hannah was an absolute master about getting 30 or 60 extra minutes out of us at bedtime. All right, you guys kind of know where this is going. All right, so one night I remember in particular, it went like this. Hey, Hannah, it's time to go to bed. And this this kid, uh, she was, I have two of my beautiful children here. But this kid, she looked like the the Michelin man with all the little creases in her arms, and she was just really precious. It was so hard to say no to her. 
But the conversation went like this. Hannah, it's time to go to bed. Daddy, why is it time to go to bed? Well, Hannah, it's because it's time to go to bed. It's 6.30 or 9 o'clock or whatever time we said, right? It was. Daddy, why is it time to go to bed? Well, Hannah, you need to rest up and get energy for tomorrow. You know, I thought I'd, I'd, I'd reason it out with her. Why do I need to rest up and get energy for tomorrow, Daddy? Um, because you need to be at your best tomorrow, Hannah. Daddy, why do I need to be at my best tomorrow? <laughs> and it went on and on like this, right? So she was just a, a master at getting this extra time, and I was a fool to keep going along with that and trying to reason with her why it was, why it was time. All right, but that, that question of why, it still is an important question the older that we get, isn't it, right? So you're going to start this week tomorrow uh, going into work, and you're going to go, oh, man, why do I need to be a part of this meeting? Right, anybody ever say that? Yeah. Or why do I need to do this expense report? Or why do I need to deal with this person? Or perhaps it's a deeper question, like, why am I doing what I'm doing with my life? Is my life counting for something? Am I doing that thing that I was made to do, that purpose? You know, I was recently driving to our church offices, which are at C470 in Santa Fe, right around there. And I drive along County Line Road, and I drive by two motorcycle dealerships. One's a Harley-Davidson dealership. The other one's uh, another dealership. Both have great-looking motorcycles. I'm not a motorcycle rider. Uh, I don't have tattoos all over and my Harley in my, in my garage. Although after what you're going to hear, I might. So. But uh, I was driving by, and I noticed in the windows of the Harley-Davidson dealership, it has a sign. And in the sign, it says, Why We Ride. And it actually had people's responses to that. So it kind of piqued my interest because I was getting ready for the message. So I stopped by. And I started reading what people were saying about why they ride, because they had note cards posted in the window. Listen to what a couple people said. One person said, I ride to get away from everyone. Seems pretty reasonable, huh? One person said, it's the same reason a dog puts its head out the window of a car. Yeah, yeah. Another person said, to keep my head on straight, to feel alive, and to make my rear pucker once in a while. I did actually have to substitute rear for what they put there, but I did like a, a few other ones. This one, this person said, I'm just thankful to ride. I'm just thankful to ride. Sounds like they've got a, a reason, a testimony. Maybe it's an illness or something like that that they've come through. And then this was probably my favorite. When I ride, it gives me a relaxed and comfortable feel, and I talk to the Lord. That wasn't Pastor John who wrote that. It was, it was somebody else. So we do know that there are Christians that ride Harley-Davidson's, right? So I'd actually started digging in a little bit about the strategy of what Harley's trying to do. And their strategy is to fulfill dreams of personal freedom. And I just want to point out that both of these places, both of these dealerships, had beautiful-looking motorcycles and awesome gear and shoes. I think I might go get some of the Harley-Davidson shoes, you know, just so I can, you know, feel a little bit, a little bit like that, right? But both of these places had great-looking motorcycles. But Harley is answering that why question, I think, in a better way. I'm not going to go get a motorcycle. I'm not a paid in, it's not a paid endorsement for Harley. But 
They're answering that why question, right? Which is a critically important question for us to answer. And I suspect that there may be some of you here that you're asking yourself, why, why should I care about the world? Why should I care about those that are outside of my windows? If somebody were to look inside our windows, what would they see? Would they see dysfunction? Would they see fights? Clothes all over the place? Shoes all over the place? What would they see if they looked inside your windows? So you may say, why, why should I look outside my windows? I, I got a lot going on. There's, there's a lot going on in my life. My life's not, I'm not necessarily maybe even right with God or, or, or there's lots of things going on. There's lots of dysfunction. You can insert whatever you want to into if somebody were to look inside our windows. But I hope that during this series that we can open up our hearts, open up our minds to go from being inward-looking Christians, internally focused Christians, Christians that focus on, hey, what can God do for me today? What has he done for me lately? To those that are looking externally and those that look outwardly on the world that's around us. You know, you have the answer inside of you that the world needs. If you're a follower of Christ, you've made Jesus your Lord, you have the answer inside of you. It's okay to have stuff going on in your life. God doesn't need perfect people. And in fact, if you think you're perfect, there's your first problem. God doesn't need perfect people. He needs people that will say yes. There is something within each of us, within our story, within our experience, within your, maybe your training or your education, there's something within you that God has deposited in you that this world needs. It's good news. There's something within you that God can use that very thing to reach this world. I remember uh, several years ago, I was in New York City. I was actually in Jamaica, Queens. I was one of the only people that looked like me there. And I saw a guy, and he did not look well. I've shared this story before, but he did not look well. And I went up to him, and I said, hey, man, are you all right? How you doing? And I don't know why he shared this. Um, actually, I do know why he shared this. But it was pretty courageous to share. He said, last night I took 30 sleeping pills and drank a bottle of vodka. And when I woke up this morning, I was so disappointed. And I knew exactly why I was there that day. Because part of my story is I have come through severe depression. Depression that took me to being hospitalized. And I've dealt with suicide. I've dealt with that in my life. And I knew exactly why I was there that day. There was something that was in, in my experience, my testimony. That day he got saved. That day he prayed. And he still didn't look all that great, but his countenance was changed. He met God that day. So why care about those that are outside our windows? Let's kind of peel this apart. Uh, of course, no message or series can uh, elaborate on everything and every reason why. But let's, let's take a few moments today, a few minutes today, and peel this apart. So point number one. Jesus' first words were outwardly focused on others. 
some of the very first words that Jesus spoke, and I think some of the very first words on his, when he opened up his ministry, were outwardly focused on others. Let's look at the life of Jesus. You know, the life of Jesus is, is uh, chronicled in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And we see here in Matthew 4 what he said when he, he very first started his ministry. In Matthew 4, 18 and 19, it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Verse 19, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Another translation says, Jesus called out to them and said, Come, follow me, and I will transform you into men who catch people for God. So you think about this. This is, this is ground zero of Jesus' ministry. He's just been tempted, and he comes out of that, and he starts his public ministry. And he's going along the Sea of Galilee, and he sees two guys, and then just a little bit later, he sees another two guys. And I wonder, did he have his eyes on them? Was he observing them day after day? Or did he just know them because he was God? Did he know what they had in them? He called them just because of that. And he goes out to these guys and he said, come follow me and I will make you fishermen. And this is an interesting play on words. It's a poetic play on words because they were fishermen. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And notice here, he didn't say, come follow me and I'm gonna make you better men. He doesn't say, come follow me and I will make you more knowledgeable about the scriptures. I'll make you more healthy, more wealthy, more wise. He doesn't say, come follow me, and I'm going to do something for you. He says, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. His first directive to them was not about them. It was about others. His very first directive to them was to look outward. And I believe that as they did that, they actually became the people that they wanted to become. They became better men. In fact, these men changed the world. We are here because these men said yes, because they chose to look outward to say yes to Jesus. They went from where they were and spread the gospel to various places in the world. These 11 men did that. They changed the world, and we owe our our walk, uh, walk with God and walk with Jesus to them. On the first day of following Jesus, it wasn't an inward-looking priority. If I put it in today's terms and, and even personalize it for me, it's like he says, I want you to stop fishing for you. I want you to stop making money just for you. I want you to stop making it about you. And my first priority is I want to make you a man. I want to make you a woman who catches people for God. It goes out and reaches people and does something for people in the same way that someone did for you. So I think all of us have a reason why we're here, why we're walking in our faith and influence somebody in our life, in our lives. Chose to say yes, right? I'm here as a direct result of many people but a couple people that you know, Pastor John. You know, Pastor John uh, was, I went to church at Resurrection Fellowship, which is a, a church that he was a youth pastor at and then an associate pastor at. But I was there way before he was. 
And he came to church one day, and he looked like a, a guy uh, that I went to school with, the, the brother of a guy, the older, shorter brother of a guy that I went to, <laughs> went to, to school with. And I went up to his, this guy's name was Tony Leach, and I said, hey, do you have a brother named Tony? And he said, no, but tell me about yourself. And our lives intersected at that, at that point, 28 years ago, that happened. Another guy who led worship today, Tom Ewing. Tom was my youth pastor when I was 13 years old. So like 33, 34 years ago, he was my youth pastor. I still today ask Tom for advice. I still, I still seek wisdom. These guys, you know, we see them up here. We see them leading worship. We see them teaching. These guys are the real, that's the real deal, right? That's what I love about our church. There's many great churches. But what I love about our church is that, is that who shares from up here, this is who they are. I want you to think about this. Maybe the way that Jesus has intended from the very beginning, from the very beginning of his public ministry to heal us, to, to work in our brokenness, to touch our lives, is by not just looking inward, but looking out to the world. Has anybody here ever said, Lord, make me more like you? I remember a song, Lord, I just want to be more like you. Right? We, ha- we probably all have asked us, Lord, work in our lives. Change us. Make us more like you. How do you think that happens? Does it just happen by, Lord, make me more like you, and he, he makes us more like him just like that, right? We go through things. One of the ways that we can be more like him is by looking outward, by focusing on others. Maybe from the very beginning of time, that has been God's plan, is to not just look inward, like, what, God, what can you do for me? Heal me, Lord, I'm broken, but to look outward. But in doing that, we are transformed in the people that he has for us to be. When I think about my own life and how it's been changed, it has been because people looked out from their own circumstances and paid attention and heard God And it's also been when I served the world. So we see the importance of Jesus' first words. But I think his last words that he speaks towards the end of his life and after he was crucified and raised from the dead, I think actually have a little bit more weight. So we're going to pick up the story in Matthew 28. So Jesus has just been raised from the dead and angels roll back the stone. And two Marys come. And this angel says, he is not here. He is risen. And then he instructs these ladies to go tell the disciples, the 11 remaining disciples, to meet Jesus at a mountain in Galilee. We pick that story up in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, verse 19, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we see here again this same pattern of looking out onto the world. That word go, it, it literally means to, to go. It, it actually means what it says here. We'd have to go and get a PhD and study for years to mess up what that says, right? 
It means to go on a journey. It means to depart from where you are and go to another place. But there's a, a more complete meaning. And it actually means going. As you're going about your life, disciple. It does mean to go. It means to go to the furthest nations in the world. But it means as you're going about your life, teach, train, missionally connect and disciple with everyone that you come into contact with. You know, we all have different callings and vocations. I'm a pastor. I'm going to share in just a, a moment. I haven't always been a pastor. This is a second or third career, depending on how you look at it. But you may be an engineer. You may be a teacher. You may be in real estate. You may be an artist, right? Great artist. You may be in IT, right? We all have different callings and vocations, but that command that Jesus gives us is still the same. The command that he tells us in Matthew 28 is still the same, to go and to go. Everywhere that we go, we can affect and infect the world with his grace, with his glory, with his love and his passion. Because why? We're receiving it from him. And if you haven't ever received it from him, if you're struggling with that, let me be the messenger today to tell you how much he loves you. Jesus loves you. You haven't done too much to make him disown you. You haven't done, you haven't gone too far. You haven't done too much in your life for him to reject you. He loves you. He loves people. He loves your neighbor. He loves the world. He loves the more than 300,000 kids that are living on the street in major cities in India, in Delhi, Bangalore, Mumbai. He loves the 16 or 17-year-old girl who's working in a bar in, in Bangkok and selling her body. He loves people. He loves the more than 7.6 billion people that are here in this world. The spread of God's glory, the spread of his grace is not an optional program for our church. It's not an optional program for the church. The spread of his grace and his glory is the very purpose of Christianity. It looks different for all of us, but God has called and created every single one of us, no matter where you're at. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, he has called us, and there's something within you that this, this world needs. There's something within you. I'd like to just share a little bit about our story, which leads me to point three. And that's transformation in real life come when we shift our focus from internal to external. We have been attending this church for almost 20 years. We sat in the very same seats that you sit. We've, we've worked on staff here for eight and a half years. It's hard to believe it's, it's really been that long. My background is... Uh, I went to school. Uh, my undergraduate degree is in nursing. I practiced as a cancer nurse, a, a bone marrow oncology transplant nurse. And then I went to business school, and I focused, my, my emphasis was in international business. 
And I got into the pharmaceutical industry, and I had, gr- I had a great career in the pharmaceutical industry. I, had, I was a salesperson, sales manager, sales trainer. And then I, uh, I went and I started a division in, in key customer management, a, a global job. And you see, when I was growing up, uh, I grew up fairly poor. I've got great parents. They love me. But one of my first homes was a trailer home. My dad in high school, I remember him working three jobs. Got great parents. They worked very, very hard for me. But we didn't have a lot in life when I was growing up. And there was something, I think, within me that said, I am not going to be like that. I'm not going to grow. I'm not going to be poor. And so what happened is that I worked hard to not be that. I focused on my goals. There was something in me that would drive me to work 16, 18, 20 hours a day, so I wasn't like that. And there's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with having things. But my motivation was not, the motivation was a broken motivation. So I worked hard, and I remember one particular goal that I had. Probably a goal that many of us have too. And I worked hard for that. And I remember the day that I achieved that goal. And I said to myself, wow, that didn't feel like I thought it would feel. So what's, what's next after that? We go, okay, I got I to gotta double that. All right, so I'll go work another 18, 20 hours a day to make that happen. And I achieved that goal. And it felt just as empty as it did the very first time. Why did it feel like that? Because it was incomplete. We have to have goals. We have to work hard. But if our goal for working hard is making money and getting things, it is incomplete. It's not the full picture. Of course we need money to live. Of course we need to work hard and support our families, even for guys. That's an honorable thing. It's an honorable thing for us men to work like that and take care of our families. But if it stops there, And that's the only purpose. It's incomplete. It was during this time, this last role that I had, I was traveling back and forth between New Jersey, and I was traveling the world. We had offices in in Europe. I go over six or eight weeks to Europe. My beautiful kids were growing up, and I was watching them grow up on FaceTime and Skype. I would read books. I remember reading books to my, my beautiful girl. And I would, I would read the book on FaceTime with her. And it was during this time that God got a hold of my heart. And he started to work in my heart. And one night I was driving back from uh, a, a fine dining establishment, Chipotle. Because right? I would do three or maybe four things when I was in New Jersey. I would work, I'd sleep, I'd eat, sometimes work out. So I was driving back and just just having a pity party with God, complaining. I had everything that I had ever worked for, and I felt empty. So I was complaining to God, pouring my heart out to him. And God loves, he wants us to go to him. He wants us to pour our heart out to him. But I was having a pity party for myself, and God interrupted me mid-pity party. And he said, Jonathan, I am causing your heart to divorce from your company. And I'm causing it to divorce so that when I call you to go, you'll actually go. 
You see, I was a missionary when I was right out of high school. I've known the goodness of that, but I had gotten away from that and focused on me and focused on my priorities. And it was like God was saying to me, I'm working in your heart and causing your focus to shift from just you, from just about your goals and accomplishing your, the things that you want to do. And I'm causing your heart to shift to go towards what my priorities are in this world, what my heart is in this world. He was causing me from going, being solely focused on myself to wholly focused on what his priorities are for those that are around the world. Can I be honest? I am a selfish person. I'm greedy. My unrenewed heart and my unrenewed mind are selfish and greedy. That's why I have to daily renew my mind. That's why I have to go and serve. But get this. When I serve, I put that selfish nature to death. When I give, I crush that greedy nature. By serving the world, I put an end to that. But it's a tension to be managed, really, because I find this old self want to creep up again. People ask me, man, that must be hard when you travel. It's not. It's a great joy because this thing wants to creep up in me. And when I give myself away to the world, I put it to death. It's one of the reasons why I do it. Because I have to put that to death. Because as I do that, I am being transformed into the person that I know God has for me. I am being transformed into a better man. I am being transformed into a better husband and a better father. I am being transformed into the man that I know God has called me to be. And it doesn't just happen when I say, Lord, make me more like you. The vehicle for that happening, and one of the vehicles for that happening, is when we serve the world. When we serve the world, and when we serve the world. As we go, and as we go. Pastor John asked me recently as we were preparing for this, what's my why? And I could go on for hours about what my why is. But one of the reasons why I love to be involved in missions is that when I serve others and I put myself in God's service, I experience real life and real fulfillment. I experience real life and real fulfillment because I have pursued those other things. And it's good. Having things is a, is a blessing. God is a blesser. He wants us to have things. But if that's, the, if that's the end goal, it is incomplete. It's incomplete. It's one of the weird personal reasons why I'm involved. It's one of my whys. John 10.10 says, A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. That's not just for heaven. That's not for when we die and, and we go to this, the next, the next place, right? That's actually for here. That's for now. 
How does that happen? Lord, give me a better life. Right? It's like a coupon that we never use. He's given us opportunities. He's given us these coupons that we never use in our lives. Use that coupon. Use what God has done for you for something greater than just making money and just for yourself. I want to submit to you that you and I can experience real life and real fulfillment and real purpose and be transformed into who God has for us by getting involved with what his plan for the nations are. By getting involved in what his plans for this nation are and then the nations to, to the ends of the earth. I want to I show a video. I hope it will inspire you, but I also hope it will move you to action. I hope it's not temporary. I hope it's lifelong. I want to show us a video that I hope will, will get us to think about what is that purpose? Because I know there are some of you that have found that purpose, that have found the thing that God has for you. But there could be some of us that are asking ourselves, is this all there is? You know, if coming to church, if that's, if that's where it ends, I might as well may not come to church because it's incomplete if that's where it ends. So guys, if we can show this, please. In the beginning, God created man in his own image. He walked with man in the cool of the Eden, but sin interrupted that union. So God created the missionary. God said, I need someone willing to say no to the status quo, no to the dream of wealth, leave their families to fly to a distant land and learn a language they have never heard, ride in cramped buses on backs of camels, someone who would sleep anywhere, eat anything, bear the heat, and fight the freeze with a smile on their face, just to take the gospel to a people not their own. So God created the missionary. God said, because the harvest is plentiful, I need someone ready to sow the seed, to plow the ground, water the seed, and reap the harvest which is ripe. Someone to go and train, to multiply the crops, and to answer the call and pay the price. So God created the missionary. God said, I need someone who is a radical servant of all, taking the lowliest job, washing the feet of the poor, caring for the sick, and cleaning their wounds. I need someone to visit the prisoner, care for the widow and the orphan, to sit in the dust with a child and tell them that they are loved. So God made a missionary. God said he needed someone who would believe that blind eyes could see 
and lame feet could walk and that the dead could live again. Someone who would pray long hours and intercede through the night with wordless groans of petition so that one soul might be saved. God said, I need someone honest and brave, full of grace, mercy, and compassion, free from fear and passivity, walking in true identity, someone burning with love and girded with truth, someone who radiantly reflects God's glory. So God made a missionary. God said, I need someone who would say yes before they were asked, someone who would go to distant islands, barren deserts, inner cities, closed nations, next-door neighbors, and prestigious universities to reach the unreached. Who would hike any mountain and endure any obstacle? Because how will they believe in him of whom they have never heard? How will they hear unless someone preaches? And how will they preach unless they are sent? So God made the missionary. your why? What is your why? You know, it starts with our family, of course. You know, that's kind of that, that, that Jerusalem that Jesus talked about. But it doesn't end there, right? We have to, especially, especially as guys, we got to take care of our families. We have to work hard. Those are honorable, necessary things. But what is your why? What is the reason why you get up in the morning? What is the purpose of your life? A missionary is simply one who is sent. You may not have thought of yourself like that. You may have even shunned the idea of that. Maybe we'll take the term out of it, but you are sent. God has sent you to this earth for such a time as this. You could have been born in the 1700s, but God chose to send you right now. You could have been born in another place, but you were born here. You live here. God has something. He's deposited something in you that this world needs. And that answer of why it begins with, Lord, here I am. Send me. Here I am. Send me, God. You may send me to Target, and I'll go. But you may send me to Turkey, Lord, and I'll go. God has planted us where we are. And it could be temporary, it could be long-term. 
But that command that he gave to us is the same. To go and then to go to all the world. So let's close our eyes. And again, I know some of you are living that very, that very thing out that you were supposed to do. And if you are, keep it up. Don't grow weary in, in doing good. But if you're asking yourself why, are you living just for you and just for yourself and just for your goals? Or are you tapping into that, that heart that God has? His heart for you is the same heart as that he has for the nations. It's the same heart that he has. So God, we say yes. We say yes to you, Lord. Here we are, send us. Lord, I can't affect every single person that needs to know your grace and your goodness, but I can do my part, my part in your story. So Lord, we say here we are, send us. Lord, use this church, use us in our community, use us in our state, use us in our nation, and use us in the nations to the ends of the earth for those that don't know, because we want to bring your grace and your glory to everyone through every window. Help us, Lord. Speak to us. And that journey begins with here we are. Send me. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. Um, I'm a kind of a practical guy. I like to know next steps of things. And of course, next week, Pastor John is going to be back, back from Israel. And we'll hear from him. So come next week. But then on Friday night, October 5th, I want to invite you. We want to invite you to uh, an event that we're going to have. It's called the Venture Global Dinner Event. And if you've ever come in the years past to our, our launch event, this is that, only better, because we're going to have foods from around the world. We're going to have an international, international dinner. There's going to be amazing worship, great message. My wife will teach that message. And then we'll have options to get involved. Get involved in reaching the world and get involved in reaching the world. So please, want to personally invite you to come on Friday night, October 5th. We do need to have you RSVP to know how much, we, how much food we should have in, in order. But please, consider this a personal invitation. We would love to see you there. So thank you. God bless you guys.